0: God, I need this show.
1: And this show is
0: Booth One. You found Booth One on your podcast dial or app or iTunes or whatever other means you use to listen to our fine program. This is Gary Zabinski alongside the loyal and steady Roscoe. Woof, woof, woof. (laughs) Coming to you with episode 33, as we say in Chicago. <laughs> 33. 33. Or 33. After a flurry of episodes featuring special guests and interviews, today it's back to just me and the Roscoe man and our adventures in the art of lively conversation, exploring the worlds of art and popular culture, and whatever else strikes our fancy. So forthwith... That was the word of the day today in my dictionary.com. Forced, forthwith. Forthwith. So forthwith, on with the program. I thought that the last mention of this was going to be the very last mention of all time, but I can't I can't take it.
1: You're not going to mention Carly Fiorina, I, are you?
0: Carly Lilith Fiorina. It only took her six days to ruin Ted Cruz's campaign. <laughs> took her six years to ruin HP. I'm not sure that she's gone. I just, I just, I'm not sure. I, I, I can who knows? Trump may pick her as the running mate.
1: Oh, I don't think it's kind to talk about the personal appearances of politicians or celebrities. People can't help that. That having been said, I recently read about Carly, said, someone said with all of her plastic surgery, and her apparent inability to eat food—that she looks like an anorexic jackal. Jackal, <laughs> jackal.
0: What do you mean her inability to eat food? Well, she, she-
1: apparently doesn't eat. She's very thin in person.
0: She's gaunt, gaunt, and in the face. Yeah. That—that's for—that's for, that's for yeah. certain. So she
1: looked like an anorexic jackal.
0: You saw the video clip of her falling off the yeah, stage, <laughs> <it's> just <laughs> completely disappearing. Which is what she'll never do.
1: Maybe one day she will be eaten by a shark. And this will all come full circle.
0: That would be amazing. That would probably be the greatest story. We would have to conclude the Booth One podcasts on that story, because where else could we go?
1: Drop our mics and disappear into the hinterlands.
0: We have gotten some fantastic feedback from our last two episodes. The uh, Sister Helen Prejean interview has just lit up the A-list mailbox on our Booth One site. And even more than that... The Cheetah Rivera interview has gone, well, I won't say viral, but it's getting to be legendary. I was thinking about it the other day. We're a couple of weeks removed from having talked to Cheetah, and I was thinking back on what a privileged and amazing experience it was that I didn't fully appreciate at the time. Many people commented and said that you both, you and I, Roscoe, sounded so relaxed and at ease with her, and they would have been a nervous wreck. Well, I was kind of a nervous wreck. I, I, I don't know how you felt about the whole interview.
1: Well, I, I think it's like stage fright. I, I had some stage fright, but it, you have been on stage, I have been on stage, and you just learn that you can't give in to it. You just act as if and pretend that you know what you're doing and, and make the fear go away.
0: Well, and she put us at ease the moment she, she walked she in did. the room. She She did not... Sashay in and say, all right, boys, let's get to it. I got yeah, five minutes yeah. for you. She, wa- she just, walked in
1: and said, I'm Cheetah. And we're like, you want to eat? <laughs> yes, 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 you are. <laughs> and I guess she was smaller than I anticipated. Tiny. Tiny. You know, I, I held back a little. I let you do a lot of the talking at the beginning and then started talking insipidly about lying that I would eat Thai food three times a day. That was brilliant. Well, yeah, and it wasn't actually a lie. She, she looked at me and she said I looked Mediterranean or Italian.
0: Yeah, yeah. like Italian. And, She's, and, she and, thought and my
1: segue for that is that actually my mother is Dutch and we were talking about food. And my mother once prepared a traditional Dutch side dish, which is that you boil kale and you mash it into mashed potatoes and it gives you light green mashed potatoes, which is about the most repulsive thing you've ever seen in your entire life. My parents nearly divorced over it.
0: Sounds like something they serve at McDonald's around St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> yeah, see, my,
1: my mother put it on the table and my father goes, what is that? And she said, whatever the official name is. And he said, I forbade you from serving that to me 25 years ago. <laughs> they had a very modern marriage. <laughs>
0: I my my father
1: never touched a vacuum in his life or washed a dish.
0: You learned a lot about relationships by watching your parents, didn't you?
1: Yes, that's why I've had so many very close and successful romantic <laughs> and, and, and intimate, intimate, and intimate <laughs> relationships.
0: Well, getting back to the Cheetah interview, I just wanted to follow up and say what great, great fun we had. I wish we could have had more time with her. Mm-hmm. She gave us the time that she had. and But I, I as, as we said in the uh, episode, I think that she could have stayed there another hour.
1: Yeah. She would have been happy. She would have enjoyed it.
0: We would have had tons of tons. things to talk about. We would have been invited up to her house to yeah. meet her dogs. To meet her
1: giant dogs.
0: Those giant dogs. I wish we had a picture of them. I'm going to write to her and see if she'll send a picture of her dogs to us.
1: It's odd. Why would you want to own gigantic dogs?
0: To keep prowlers away?
1: Well, that could be.
0: Some people love big dogs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'm not saying anything that other people don't know. Some people love tiny little <laughs> lap dogs. Yes. But some people love big, giant dogs. It's just like having a a thing in your house, yeah. a real living being. What did she say? One was like 120 pounds? Yeah, weighed
1: more than she does. Oh, Lord. I have some friends who have a Portuguese water dog.
0: Yeah, sure. Uh, the, the Obamas have a Portuguese water dog.
1: Is it gigantic?
0: No, medium-sized. Oh, I'm
1: not I'm saying the wrong thing. It's the biggest dog that exists. Like, it's like a like Burmese
0: mountain dog?
1: Some, it's like having a bear. It's bigger than a... What wears a... St. Whis- Bernards, Yeah, whiskey on its
0: neck. And- George Schlichter. St. <laughs> <laughs> Bernard's. St. Bernard's.
1: It's bigger <laughs> than the St. Bernard.
0: I think we ought to get George a little whiskey keg for her on his neck. Yes. I think mean, he would appreciate that. Yes. And two straws. I was uh, looking through my inbox the other day, and I came across this entry from, I think it was from Pinterest. People were sending in their favorite one-liners, one-liner jokes, so I thought I'd throw a few of those in during our episode today. Right. Uh, here, here's one. Not only is my thesaurus terrible, but it's also terrible.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> I have an inferiority complex, but it's not a very good one. Mm. Yeah, I give that like a yeah. C. When my friend told me to stop acting like a flamingo, I had to put my foot down. <laughs> Yeah, I like that. We frequently give away uh, plastic flamingos to our guests in uh, tribute to uh, uh, Ron Featherstone, the creator and inventor of the plastic pink flamingo.
1: We didn't give Cheetah a plastic pink flamingo. I
0: didn't. I couldn't figure out how to transport those to New York.
1: Well, I also think if you have like the Congressional Medal of Honor or the Presidential Medal of Freedom <laughs> yes. and two Tony Awards and, and the Kennedy, Kennedy Senator Honor. And if you'd had it to be a pink flamingo, I would have thrown it at your head. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Those dogs will rip it apart yeah. in the front yard. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't touched on our one of our favorite segments that we've abandoned a little bit in recent weeks, our Sourpuss Smithers segment, named after character in uh, a Frank Capra film, Sourpuss Smithers. I ran into one the other day, walking down the street, a family with a double-wide stroller, and they were all walking six-wide because they all wanted to talk to each other at the same time. I'm approaching, and I'm approaching slowly, and I'm like, do you see me? Do you see me? Do you see me? I need some space to walk. (laughs) Never, never, ever did they in any way make a move to kind of duck out of my way or give me space on the sidewalk.
1: So did you cross body block them?
0: I brushed shoulders with one of them accidentally on purpose. And I said, under my breath, walk to the right, walk to the right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I also have done that a couple of times. (laughs) If someone is walking towards me and they're looking at their cell phone and they're not paying attention and they don't get out of my way, I just... Hit them with as much force as I have
0: <laughs> you, you I knock
1: uh, them over And I don't care
0: For our listeners who haven't actually Looked at our website and, and seen A visage of my Friend Roscoe, He's not a tiny man So if he were to be bumping into you On the street you would definitely notice It you would definitely <laughs> feel The impact I've
1: sometimes been mistaken For the fridge William Refrigerator Perry was that his name?
0: <laughs> yes, on the well, Chicago Bears. We, 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 we could call you the deep freeze.
1: The deep freeze.
0: <laughs> we had a deep freeze when I, when I was growing up. My, my mother finally bought one so she could buy, you know, a whole side of beef and store it. Do people still do region. that? They absolutely do. We bought do. half a cow. They buy, they buy a quarter of a cow, half a cow, pigs, all kinds of things. Deer, they throw them in their deep freeze. Here's another one. You can never lose a homing pigeon. If your homing pigeon doesn't come back, what you've lost is a pigeon. (laughs) (laughs) That's cute. I think that's very cute. Hey, have you heard about Sheridan Smith in Funny Girl in London? I did. We did speak about Funny Girl in the West End opening and uh, the actress Sheridan Smith, and she got quite nice reviews for this, uh, has taken a leave of absence from the West End production of Funny Girl. Publicists have said on Thursday that she was citing stress and exhaustion. I quote. Funny Girl started its run at the Muneer Chocolate Factory and transferred to the West End in April. In recent months, she's drawn media attention for missing several performances and for a widespread reported series of Twitter posts in which she seemed to voice frustration over personal issues. Hasn't Audra McDonald or Jennifer Hudson missed a number of performances on Broadway in recent weeks? I believe Audra was out of Shuffle Along a number of performances in a row right during the last part of previews.
1: Well, she was ill, and then it's, she just announced that she's pregnant. So she's leaving the show earlier. She's going to leave the show to do Lady Sings the Blues in London, which is not what it's called. Lady, <laughs> L- Day, Lady the, Day. Lady Day. Lady the, They're rewriting it. <laughs> she's going to do a new production based on the Diana Ross movie.
0: Lady Day Sings the Blues, the <laughs> Diana Day Ross story as told yes. by Audrey Yes,
1: <laughs> So she was taking time off, because she was going to do sh- that show in the West End. Now she's announced that she's pregnant. So she's going to stay in the show through July. I don't think women who are pregnant should be tap dancing. You don't want to jostle that baby around.
0: Well, I think you're speaking from the wrong end of the stick. If you <laughs> oh my saying, so.
1: That's my favorite one-liner for today. <laughs>
0: <laughs> who, are to, who are we to judge? My mother drank Manhattans and smoked until like two hours before I was born. And then I think she only stopped because the hospital suggested <laughs> that, the, that the bed sheets were flammable.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I'm we can, pretty sure. Yeah. And we can see how that worked out.
0: Now, she didn't tap dance while no. she, uh, she was pregnant with me. I, I admit that. But at some point, she's probably going to stop tap dancing.
1: Have, have I ever told you that my mother fell in love with the smell of lighter fluid? And that she would sniff lighter fluid while she was pregnant with me. <laughs> this is a true story. <laughs> she found it comforting.
0: You've never told me that story, but it explains an it awful explains lot. explains a lot. Well, uh, Miss Smith, getting back to her, she pulled out of several performances this week. And when the Daily Mail in London suggested that she had missed Monday's show because she had failed to win a television BAFTA award on Sunday night... Miss Smith voiced frustration in Twitter postings directed at the media. She'll be on leave for two to four weeks. So if you were planning on catching a plane to London to see Funny Girl anytime soon, I'd postpone that. The actress Natasha J. Barnes will temporarily replace her in the show. I still have high hopes that that's going to come to Broadway next year. I don't know <gasps> if it will be with Sheridan Smith or not. It might have to be somebody else. I don't
1: really want... a. British person playing Fanny Bryce. That rubs me the wrong way. Can't we find an American
0: to do that role? Jessica Mueller. Jessica Mueller. She could do it. She could. Yeah. She's just old enough to kind of, I think, pull that off. I mean, she's quite a young actress, but I think that she's got a gravitas and a maturity about her that she could pull that off. I saw her on uh, the Colbert show the other night. I thought she was absolutely delightful. Again, don't go to London anytime soon to see Sheridan Smith, but I think Funny Girl will be here next season. Another one-liner that I came up with here is, this is one I think that you'll very, very much like. Who is that Rorschach dude? And why is he so good at drawing pictures of my mother beating me? (laughs) 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 We went to see a show at the Writers' Theater up here in our local community of Glencoe, Illinois. It is their second show in their new theater. This is in the smaller Black Box Space, the, the inaugural show in their uh, Jillian Theater, it's called. About 99 seats or something like that. And it is a parody done in association with the Second City here in Chicago. It is called, hang on to your hats, Death of a Streetcar Named Virginia Wolf, a Parody. Well, we went the other night. They were kind enough to offer us some press tickets. And I think you and I, Roscoe, laughed till... Almost we wet ourselves <laughs> a
1: was, couple of points. I was going to say that. It was hilarious from, almost without flagging from start to finish.
0: It was a semi-plotted production that takes place in a house in New Orleans, hence the streetcar reference. Stanley Kowalski and Blanche Dubois play prominent roles in it. Then enter stage right Willie Loman from Death of a Salesman, who happens to be stopping by New Orleans trying to sell some stuff. Uh, His two sons, Biff and Happy, Happy. (laughs) make a brief appearance, and they are hilarious, and they all interact. All the characters interact with each other. They're not pretending that they don't know each other. And then, you know, ten minutes later, We meet this couple on a train, and it's George and Martha from Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf (laughs) on a train going to New Orleans. Why are they on the train? Why are they going to New Orleans? To look
1: for their son. (laughs) To visit their son. (laughs) To visit their son. (laughs) (laughs) Their imaginary son. (laughs) Their
0: imaginary son.
1: Uh, And there's the narrator.
0: There's the narrator from our town, Thornton Wilde. The stage manager. Yes. Uh, he calls himself the narrator in this show, but yes, he's the stage manager character, and he leads us through this parody. If you know the shows, these plays, and other Tennessee Williams or Edward Albee or Arthur Miller plays as well as you and I do, uh, Roscoe, and there were a number of people in the audience who did, you would find it to be hilarious from top to bottom. Uh, the references are clever, and subtle, sometimes not so subtle, sometimes big, big hammers over your head. But they play it beautifully. They play it very straight. And they, they try to just keep in their characters. They don't mug to the audience all that much, uh, though the narrator, stage manager character kind of Does. makes some in-joke references. But I found the whole thing very funny.
1: Can we talk about Jennifer Engstrom? Please. Who played Blanche Dubois. <sighs> The heat, the heat, the heat
0: heat heat heat. gets you like a jaybird (laughs) mocking you while he's eating a pecan pie, steaming on your windowsill.
1: That was pretty good.
0: Thank you. It's one of the only lines I remember.
1: So here's the story with Jennifer Engstrom. She's a widely respected Chicago actress. We've talked about this on the show before. Some years ago, Writers Theater did a production of a streetcar named Desire. She was the understudy. The woman who is playing the lead, Natasha Lowe, that production, Chris Jones in the Chicago Tribune wrote recently again. It's the best production of Streetcar he's ever seen. The show was all sold out. Your producer pulled strings so that we could get into the show. We get to the show, and she's out of the show. And instead, we saw her under. And we're like, oh my God, we came, we came all the way here to see this brilliant We find out it's yeah. the understudy and that it's the after understudy afternoon. Who is we're gen- like, well, yeah. yeah. Jennifer Engstrom.
0: Who had not been on.
1: Who had not been on, had had no rehearsals. She absolutely nailed it. We were talking to some people at the theater that night that that is still, among the writer's theater people, that is considered a legendary performance, that this woman walked into a show that she'd never had a rehearsal for and nailed every moment, and she was breathtaking. So to see her five or six or seven years later playing the same character in a parody of Blanche DuBois, she was hilarious. She the, was the, right on the, the whole time. The weird time. way she had of holding her hands and, and yes. moving her body. Stroking her neck. Stroking. Like, oh, the heat the, the heat, heat. the heat. <laughs> and I married, and i he was neither a boy, nor was he a homosexual, and he loved me. <laughs> just, just, <laughs> Wildly funny.
0: Yeah, it was. I enjoyed myself immensely and would have enjoyed myself maybe even more if I had a big cocktail in front of me while I was watching it.
1: Yes. There were a lot of people in the audience who were with a group who were wearing name tags.
0: They, they had come on a tour of the theater mm. beforehand, and there were a couple of women sitting next to me who had foreign accents, either they were Polish or Czech mm-hmm. or something, and I'm not sure they got many of the inside jokes. Yeah, so that would be rough. As usual with the writer's theater, however, this piece is beautifully produced, extremely well cast, beautifully acted, costuming is spot on the small set that they erected to represent various locations in this new orleans house or the train or or the the graveyard from act three of our our town all worked really really well it was all very very clever
1: great sound design too
0: the best sound effect i've heard all season in several seasons is when The guy playing Stanley Kowalski first grabs a beer off this table and he opens the bottle cap between his pectoral muscles on his chest. And there's this great sound effect of a beer bottle being open. And then later on, towards the end of the play, Blanche Dubois does the same thing between her ginormous breasts. It's the perfect yes. <laughs> sound, and the timing of it was just absolutely impeccable. You're right. right. Great sound design.
1: What a terrific space. I mean, Glencoe, what a, what, a what a great facility to have in your backyard.
0: Can't wait to see the next show. and uh, Company! That's going to be in a large theater. We talk about writers a lot because they're a bunch of our favorite people, and... We love going up to Glencoe. Uh, I have a couple of other one-liners for you, by the way, Roscoe. Yes, before we move I'm on, all ears. alcoholics don't run in my family. They mostly stumble around and bump into things.
1: I'm not laughing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> it did. would be funny
1: if if you it was improv, if you were talking to me and I said, you know, Gary. Alcoholics don't run in my family. No? <laughs> they bump into the furniture.
0: <laughs> a nurse finds a rectal thermometer in her pocket, and she thinks, some asshole has my pen. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good joke. I think that's a good one. <laughs> hey, I didn't write these. I just well, I, pulled I, these you out Are somewhere. you
1: 14? Are we 14 today, Gary? What are we going to talk about now? Women's breasts?
0: Oh, we just did that. Oh, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'll think of something. All right. I want to revisit our amazing experience in New York going to Hamilton. During our Cheetah Rivera visit to New York, we were able to score a couple of seats, tickets to see Hamilton, and I've been recounting that experience. Just astounded at our luck and good fortune. Have you had much response from people that you've talked to that said, yeah, I was in New York, and uh, yeah, I ca- saw a couple of shows. Um, one was, uh, what was it called? Washington, uh, Jefferson, oh, Hamilton. Yes. And then what do they do?
1: Their, their jaws drop, and usually they're not happy for me. Usually they're mad because they didn't get to see Hamilton. Although surprisingly, I work with several people who've seen Hamilton, who just had the foresight to order tickets early. One woman I work with... They sat in the balcony. She said, I, "I sat behind a woman who had a rather large hairdo, and I had to keep moving." She went with her mother, and her mother had read about this somewhere. That because the the album is so popular, and I, I do you hear this from people that they're obsessed with the album, or their children are obsessed with the album. I know a guy who has a ten year old and a twelve year old, and they the children have the album memorized. They listen to it over and over and over. Really? Yes. I work with another guy. Uh, maybe he's 27 years old. He's not the kind of person who has Cheetah River and Bye Bye Birdie on his playlist. He probably doesn't own a Broadway cast album except for this one. And he's obsessed with it and has listened to it over and over. So when, when my coworker, Emily, went to Hamilton last week, the woman next to her sang along for much of the show. <sighs> I'm still upset that I didn't shush the woman who was singing along with she- Cheetah next to us. The
0: Café Carlisle. The Café
1: Carlisle. I am guessing it's the most expensive nightclub in America today. It, if it's not the most, it's got
0: to be right up there with the top right.
1: three. So it's extremely tony. It's you know I had 19 pieces of silverware on either side of my plate. White linens, starched, beautiful flowers, polished. Crystal. Crystal, everything is as top drawer as can possibly be. And we were seated next to a couple who had a, they were at a corner booth and they seemed to be, I thought they were important. They seemed to be well put together. Well, because the woman was a little short, she had some heads in front of her. Halfway through the show, she began to stand on, did you notice this? I noticed she she had, she took her shoes off. She took her shoes off and was standing in her booth and sitting on the ledge like, like she was at the Daytona 500 <laughs> watching a, a car race with a beer and a box of popcorn. <laughs> Lady, you were and, you know, and, and Jaquette is required at the Carlisle. <laughs> and she began to sing along. And what amazed me most is that she was singing along with some fairly obscure songs.
0: And her male companion, meanwhile, was sitting there completely amused by her and, po- and yeah. pounding out yeah. the beats of cheetah's song on the the town and, and all that jazz <laughs> <And> I'm like <laughs> I'm like shut up and, and like what? shut up I didn't pay four thousand dollars to hear you sing all that jazz
1: Wait, where was the major d'. Where were the house detectives? Oh,
0: they were the two most annoying people. And you kept engaging them in conversation. You were sitting next to them, closest to them. And I don't know why you did not defend our group's comfort by saying, hey, shut up.
1: Uh, You know, if I hadn't talked to them earlier... It would have been easier. That's right. You
0: chatted them up during I dinner. I chatted
1: them up at the end of dinner because I had my back to the stage and I wanted to sit in the banquette and face the stage. Or I could have just turned my chair around, which would have been a better option. But I thought it would be. I frankly thought he was in the mafia. So I thought I should befriend him.
0: You were afraid of leaving <laughs> Cafe Carlisle in cement overshoes or something? <laughs> yes, I yes. see.
1: <laughs> I see. And then he made some, some remark about, should I be nervous that you're talking to my wife? And I said about two more sentences. He goes, I guess not.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That was was a gruesome, gruesome part of our Cafe Carlisle experience. It did not fully diminish from our enjoyment of Mm. Cheetah's performance, but it certainly did not add to the experience. I know.
1: Let's never speak of it again.
0: There we were sitting in booth one, and suddenly some booth... 20 people sit down next to us. We're, we're
1: next to Bulgarians. <laughs>
0: these, are the, these are the kind of people who should have had the very last table next to the kitchen door that keeps swinging open and closed <laughs> as the waitstaff goes through. Yes. Yet, no, there they were sitting right next to us. Well, I guess, you know, if you've got enough money, you can buy anything. And unfortunately, you can't buy good manners.
1: Mic drop. <laughs> Thank
0: <you. laughs> Here's another one-liner. My doctor just told me I was suffering from paranoia. Well, he didn't actually say that, but I could tell it was what that snide bastard was thinking. (laughs) 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 Let's get to what I'm most excited about in this episode. I want to look at this year's 2016 American Theater Wings Tony Award nominations and get your picks, predictions this is in about 4 weeks i think it's on june 12th are the tony awards always a big big highlight of our midsummer season early yes. summer season and uh, we cover them extensively on booth 1 uh, because we love this stuff let's start with the big ones all right and i'm not going to go to the musical category just yet cuz the musical categories are you know frankly they're almost a fait accompli. But let's start with Best Play. There are four nominations this year, Eclipsed, The Father by Florian Zeller, a, a show that you and I both saw, The Humans, authored by Stephen Karam, and a British import called King Charles III by Mike Bartlett. I think we've both probably seen two out of the four. What's your, uh, what's your prediction? I'm going to jot these down, because we're going to revisit these in a few weeks.
1: Well, I think it's, it's The Humans without question. There's just nothing, there, there's nothing that rises to that level.
0: I'm going to agree with you on The Humans on this one. Right. I enjoyed that play immensely. Okay. Uh, I did not see Eclipsed uh, or The Father. So I'm a little bit prejudiced and swayed by the fact that one of the shows that I did see, I enjoyed tremendously well and can't imagine there's a better play out there on Broadway this year. So I'm going to go with The Humans with you. All right. How about Best Revival of a Play? Uh, there are uh, five this year, uh, Arthur Miller's The Crucible, um, Arthur Miller's A View from the Bridge, both of which were directed by Evo Van Hova, Blackbird, Long Day's Journey Into Night, starring Jessica Lange, and uh, Noises Off that the Roundabout Theatre Company did this year. It's so funny. Three of these plays were produced by Scott Rudin, and the other two are by the Roundabout Theatre Company. Right. They know how to do their revivals. Uh, you, you've seen a few of these, yes, Roscoe?
1: I have. A View from the Bridge was one of the greatest productions of anything I've ever seen. However, it's long closed. Long Day's Journey Into Tonight is still running. Long Day's Journey Into Tonight got very mixed reviews. Noises Off has been revived about a thousand times, and that also has been closed for months. Blackbird was never a a great play to begin with. A
0: good script, not a great play. Jeff Daniels is in that Jeff Daniels.
1: I was bored at the Crucible and I can't I can't see that winning. It just it has to be a view from the bridge.
0: I'm gonna go with a view from the bridge. I'll jump to Best Musical.
1: I think Waitress is going to win.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Bright Star, Hamilton, School of Rock, the musical, Shuffle Along, or The Making of the Musical Sensation of 1921 and All That Followed, based on the novel Push by Sapphire. (laughs) And Waitress, Hamilton. 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 I think that uh, Bright Star and School of Rock and Waitress and Shuffle Along to some extent have gotten a very nice boost from their Tony nominations. Um, Best Revival of a Musical, The Color Purple, Fiddler on the Roof, She Loves Me, and Spring Awakening. Your thoughts?
1: I have a bunch of thoughts. I did not see Spring Awakening, which was done with deaf actors, but I've heard, which is probably a bad segue that it was brilliant and brilliantly directed, and Marley Matlin was in it. It's supposed to be great. It's not going to win. She Loves Me, I thought was fantastic. The Color Purple was fantastic. Fiddler on the Roof, great reviews, a little bit of controversy. I give it to The Color Purple.
0: I must disagree with you.
1: I'll knock you over like William Refrigerator Perry.
0: (laughs) And I'm going to go with Spring Awakening. Really? Book of a musical. Hamilton. Hamilton. (laughs) Best original score. Well, Hamilton. Yeah. Let's move on to best performance by an actor in a leading role in a play. We've got uh, Gabriel Byrne in Long Day's Journey, Jeff Daniels uh, in Blackbird, as mentioned earlier, the Frank Langella in The Father, Tim pigott smith who plays King Charles in King Charles III, and Mark Strong from Arthur Miller's A View from the Bridge. This is a tough category, I think. These are all solid, solid performances. Uh, I know that you were a big, big fan of Mark Strong in A View from the Bridge. What's your thoughts on this one?
1: This is a tough one. Mark Strong clearly deserves it, although I did not see Frank Langella. Frank Langella hasn't won in a long time, and he's done a a number of great, widely acclaimed performances in recent years. And The Father is still running. Gabriel Byrne got mixed reviews. Jeff Daniels in a show that's not the greatest show ever. I'm going to say Mark Strong. I think it might be Frank Langella.
0: I'm going to go with Frank Langella. All right.
1: I'm losing this. I can tell.
0: How about the uh, best performance by an actress in a leading role in a play?
1: No contest, Jessica Lange.
0: Really, you jumped right to it, huh?
1: Yeah, I'm sorry you didn't. I didn't. It, it's like, you jumped
0: right to Jessica Lange. You oh, don't absolutely. even want to examine the other well, nominees you, at see, all. I mean,
1: Michelle Williams, Blackbird,
0: Laurie Medcalf in Misery, Lupita Nyong'o in Eclipsed, and Sophie Okonedo in um, in The Crucible.
1: Uh, Jessica Lange. This may be the last show she does on Broadway. Jessica Lang has had a troubled career. She has tried to be a Broadway actress for years and never could figure out how to scale her performances. You had trouble hearing her in some of the earlier shows. And boy, she I saw Glass Menagerie 10 years ago. Not very good. And apparently she's a whole new stage actress in this it, I think it took a lot of people by surprise. I'm
0: I i going to agree with you. Let's, let's do a few more here. Let's All do right. some of the biggies. Best performance by an actor in a leading role in musical. There's Alex Brightman from School of Rock. Danny Burstein from Fiddler. Uh, Zachary Levi from She Loves Me. Uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda in Hamilton. And Leslie Odom Jr. also in Hamilton. He plays Aaron Burr. Your choice?
1: I'm going to go with Leslie Odom.
0: I'm going to go with Leslie Odom as well. I thought that his... Not only is the part so superbly written and has a lot of depth and nuance and journey to it, but he's tremendously good.
1: He's tremendous. Best performance. Lin 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 Manuel Miranda will have plenty of Tonys to take home.
0: Best performance by an actress in a lead role in a musical. Laura Benanti in She Loves Me. um, Carmen Cusack in Bright Star. Cynthia Erivo in The Color Purple. Jesse Mueller. Uh, in Waitress, and uh, Philippa Sue in Hamilton. She plays uh, Hamilton's wife, Eliza. Now, we did not see Philippa Sue. She's left the show, but she's nominated. What's your choices here?
1: Uh, I think it has to be Cynthia Arrivo. She's She receives received magnificent reviews on The Color Purple. Uh, this didn't happen the night I saw it, but apparently most nights she gets a standing ovation for her big 11 o'clock number, which is very unusual for someone to get a standing ovation in the middle of the show, but she is Phenomenal and knocks it out of the ballpark. Uh, but I loved Carmen Cusack, but I don't think that's a Tony Award winning role. Laura Bonanti was delightful in She Loves Me, but the color purple, you just weep for what happens to that character. So she has not, not the, the strength of the role going for her as well.
0: I'm going to go with Philippa Sue in Hamilton. <gasps> Really? Yeah. All right. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. Let's move on to uh, featured roles in plays. Um, We have uh, Reed Burney in The Humans. Oh, boy, was he good. Uh, Bill Camp in The Crucible. David Furr, Noises Off. Richard Goulding in uh, King Charles III. He plays Prince Harry, I believe, in the show. He's awfully good. And Michael Shannon, our pal Michael Shannon, uh, Chicago actor, Long Day's Journey in Tonight. He plays Jamie in Long Day's Journey. Your choices? Uh, Your choice.
1: Reed Burney.
0: I'm going to go with Richard Goulding in King Charles III. Oh, all right. Featured role in a play by an actress. Um, we have Pascal Armand in Eclipsed, Megan Hilty, Noises Off, Jane Howdy Duty Shell in The Humans, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Andrea Martin in Noises Off, and Saquon Sengblah in Eclipse. And uh, forgive me if I'm not pronouncing that exactly right. Um, your choice is there. Oh,
1: Jane. Jane, Jane, Jane. I will
0: will go with Jane Howdy Shell as well.
1: Uh, She's a popular actress in New York. I'm sure she's never won a Tony before. She was in the revival of Follies a couple of years ago. Yes, yes and And you just love her. she's a familiar face. Just you just love her character. you do.
0: Very tough category here. Someone's going to go home disappointed unless they all win uh, best performance by an actor in a featured role in a musical. Not only do we have David Diggs from Hamilton, who plays Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> it's an amazing role, But you've also got Jonathan Groff from Hamilton who played King George. Uh, and Christopher Jackson from Hamilton, who plays George Washington. And the other two are Brandon Victor Dixon in Shuffle Along, and Christopher Fitzgerald in Waitress.
1: Well, it's between David Diggs, who was... Oh, boy, they were both so good. It's between David Diggs and Christopher Jackson for Hamilton. Jonathan Groff is out of Hamilton, and that's a small role that you know has two funny numbers. I'll go with David Diggs, because he plays two roles.
0: I am going to go with Jonathan Groff in Hamilton because I realize that it's small-ish compared to some of the others, but he does make several very significant appearances, and every time he walks on stage, the show stops cold. How could you be a better featured actor than to stop the show cold? I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with Jonathan Groff on this one. But
1: he wasn't in, he's not in the show now. He, he is not in the show he's any He's not any in longer. the show, and he wasn't in it very long. Uh,
0: not very long, but long enough to get this nomination. Oh. Best performance by an actress in a featured role in a musical. And the nominees are Danielle Brooks in The Color Purple, Renee Elise Goldsberry in Hamilton, Jane Krakowski, she loves me. Jennifer Simard in Disaster. <laughs> that must have been quite a performance in, in, in that show to get the, a the nomination. The only nomination
1: from that show. And
0: Adrian Warren in Shuffle Along. This is an interesting category because they're all fairly equally situated, I think, except maybe possibly the disaster actress, Jennifer. Uh, what, what's, your, what's your choices here?
1: I will go, who does she play in Hamilton?
0: She's the, she's the other sister, Angelica.
1: I, I have to go with her.
0: I'm going to go with her as well. Renee Elise Goldsberry. Let's go to best direction of a play. All right. Rupert Gold, King Charles III, Jonathan Kent, that's a Long Day's Journey, Joe Montello, The Humans, Liesl Tommy for Eclipsed, and Evo Van Hove for uh, Arthur Miller's A View from the Bridge.
1: It should go to a view from the bridge. I'm, uh, uh, uh I think it'll go to and for the humans. Just, just let the humans take home a basket full. that will be nice. I'm going
0: to take view from the bridge. Yeah. And we'll see how that goes. Direction of a musical. Oh,
1: it'd be Hamilton.
0: I think without question, don't you? Yes. No question. And a best choreography?
1: Dames at sea.
0: Dames at sea, really?
1: No, Hamilton.
0: Hamilton. <laughs> Not On Your Feet, the story of Emilio and Gloria Estefan. I, I think I have to go with Hamilton on that one as yes. well.
1: Although you were not a huge fan of the choreography.
0: I, I was not, but I can't vote against it just because I wasn't a huge fan of it. Yeah. Andy Blankenbuehler. And it's not traditional choreography. Not in any way whatsoever. I do want to go back and look at best scenic designs of both the play and musical. For a play, Therese Raquin, where there was a pond of water uh, on the stage. And they yeah, it's tipped there, it's over a river, a actually. A river. Wow, it's actually moving. Uh, Christopher Aram for Huey. That's Beowulf Borat for Therese Raquin, by the way. Jan Verse Veveld, I think, is his name. That's for Arthur Miller's View from the Bridge, and David Zinn for the humans.
1: What are you thinking?
0: I'm going to have to go with View from the Bridge.
1: I think I will do that as well. Although I understand the set for Huey was amazing, it was and the a big set,
0: and the set for the humans, though it seemed very simple, two level, two, yeah, two how, levels. How hard is that? It served the play so tremendously well, I thought. But uh, I, I'm still going to go with View from the Bridge. Let's do scenic design of a musical. Uh, Devlin and Ross for American Psycho, David Corins for Hamilton, Santo Laquasto for Shuffle Along, and David Rockwell for She Loves Me. This is an interesting category because the Hamilton set, though extremely serviceable and beautiful and unbelievably well utilized, is fairly simple. It's scaffolding around three sides and some rolling staircases. Not a lot else uh, other than the turntable and the ring around the turntable that can go in very different directions at lots of different speeds. But we've seen turntables before. I just don't know about this one. Uh, I I would vote for the Hamilton uh, designer probably because the scenic design served the piece, as you said so eloquently last week, just perfectly. Everything about the show serves everything else about the show just exactly right. It all fits integrated and organic.
1: Well, here's where you're wrong. It's going to go to She Loves Me. Very well. And, and I'll tell you why. Curtain comes up. We see the set for the first time. The audience applauds. It's a little jewel box of a musical. And the, it's, a, you know, it's a store and the store opens up and it's as beautiful and lo- it's as beautiful as a viennese music box
0: okay i'm writing you down for that we'll see how it goes and
1: every time there was a set change the audience applauded which always cracks me up when the audience applauds the sets Uh,
0: there are there are other categories that uh we could get to but i think we've kind of exhausted ourselves on the tony awards at least we've exhausted our listeners we've we've addressed this before did you hear the oldest person in the world has died. How could that happen? Again. William McKinley was president when Susanna Mushat Jones was born in Alabama just a few months before the turn of the 20th century. She lived through two world wars and the Great Depression all before she retired in 1965. As recently as a few weeks ago, Miss Jones was still sticking to her breakfast routine. You'll like this four strips of bacon, eggs, and grits. Ms. Jones was 116 years old, the world's oldest living person. She was the last living American who was verified to have been born before the year 1900. They're all gone, Lois Judge, Mrs. Jones' niece recalled her aunt, telling her. Why me? Why am I the last one left? She was born July 6, 1899, in Lowndes County, Alabama.
1: So, so the last the last person alive to have been born before nineteen hundred
0: the last verifiable person well, mr Miss uh, Jones uh, presumed successor is a one hundred and sixteen year old woman from Italy named Emma Morano. Miss Morano, who was born in November of eighteen ninety nine is the last person alive who was verified to have been born in the nineteenth century. The next oldest American is only one hundred and thirteen.
1: Holy Toledo <laughs> Did you read about the the world's oldest living cat? Someone has a cat that's 30 years old. 30? 30. 30 30-year-old cat.
0: That's amazing. Mm -hmm. I want to give a little teaser to our next podcast for our listeners. We're going to be interviewing a Chicago sort of legend, a photographer named Mark Hauser. That's H-A-U-S-E-R. Mark Hauser once had a portrait session with Dolly Parton. Uh, that started with her posing with Kermit the Frog and ended with him accidentally touching her breast. <laughs> I said, excuse me, and she said, "Ah, don't worry about it, honey, I'm used to it, he recalls. (laughs) Veteran Chicago photographer, he shot portraits of Woody Allen and advertising campaigns with Michael Jordan and Dennis Rodman. Hauser's photographs have been featured in Rolling Stone and Vanity Fair and have earned more than 100 awards, including a Clio Award, and at one point, Hauser raked in more than a million dollars a year just from taking his photographs. We had the pleasure of meeting him uh, not long ago and actually sat for a photo session with him. Well, we're going to be having him on our podcast next week. Uh, He'll be with us the entire time. And uh, he's a fascinating guy. A million stories about... Michael Jordan and George Burns and Dolly Parton. Janis Joplin. Janis Joplin and the photographs around his studio are just tremendous. We hope you're going to enjoy that. Don't forget to tune into our podcast the very next time when we'll be talking with Chicago photographer Mark Hauser. And review us on iTunes if you can. Like us on Facebook. Email us at alist at booth-one.com and keep on listening. We should conclude this episode As always, Roscoe, with our Kiss of Death segment, we're going to talk about Sylvia Cotters today. Many of her television bit parts in movies and series described her only as, quote, the old Jewish lady.
1: Oh, I read about her. The
0: kind of role casting directors were apt to give such a late-blooming professional actress as Sylvia Cotters. She had worked for 30 years or so—this is fascinating—30 years as Philadelphia's director of special events when she took up acting professionally. In a sense, she was like the Lois Weisberg of Philadelphia who late in life said, I'm going to do what I've always dreamed of doing. I'm going to be an actress. She was about 60 at the time. Making New York her second home, she found an agent and resolutely began auditioning for the career she had coveted since second grade when she was passed over for the lead in an Easter play. Before long, she became a familiar face to television and film viewers, playing scores of small but memorable roles. Filmgoers may remember her as the camera-toting tourist in Witness with Harrison Ford, as the pokey woman in the supermarket checkout line in American Splendor, as Billy Crystal's aunt in analyzed this as the woman who wields a broom against a space alien in Predator 2 and as Gussie, a tenant who appeals to a politician to avoid being evicted in the Al Pacino drama City Hall. She appeared in two Woody Allen films, Crimes and Misdemeanors, and Manhattan Murder Mystery in Joel and Ethan Coen's Inside Llewellyn Davis, and in dozens of television shows. On the HBO series The Sopranos, she deftly adjusted her range to play Mrs. Conti, an old Italian woman who shocked Tony Soprano by unleashing a vile outburst at noisy neighbors. I was never a beauty, but what I was was talented and smart. Someone has to play the small roles, and I love the work. Uh, after college, Ms. Cotters worked in radio and produced and moderated a television program called Under Billy Penn's Hat before going to work for the city of Philadelphia. She worked for five mayors, directing special events like Freedom Week celebrations at Independence Hall and hosting visiting celebrities. She was photographed with John Wayne, for instance, towering over her five-foot frame and boxing with Joe Frazier. Her Broadway debut was as Mrs. Beckhoff in the 1982... Harvey Firestein play Torch Song Trilogy, but she once said her favorite role was Booby the grandmother in the Jewish Repertory Theater production of Crossing Delancey. Miss Cotters never planned to retire. Just a few weeks ago, she acted in a production of Neil Simon's Lost in Yonkers in the community room of her Philadelphia apartment building. (laughs) We could put on plays in our apartment (laughs) building, Roscoe. We've got a big enough lobby. She chose that play, she told Friends, because it was probably one of the few in which she had never performed the role of Grandma. Sylvia Cotters, 94, late-blooming actress, played lots of Jew mother characters yes. after the age of did 60. You, did
1: you recognize her?
0: I did. As soon as I saw the photograph, I said, I, I know this woman. I can't believe she was 94. Right. Very brave of her to take up a new career at that point in life. It may happen to me. You're
1: going to go back to acting? I may be an old Jewish man in the movies. Oi. Oi. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should listen to Hamilton and learn how to rap. And then we could perform one of those numbers on our podcast.
0: I just happen to have the original cast album right here next to me. And we'll be able to wrap the whole thing soon. (laughs) Yeah,
1: That'll be a sight to behold. That will be an aural pleasure for our listening audiences.
0: Any last words of wisdom, Roscoe?
1: Go away, Carly Fiorino.
0: (laughs) Thanks for listening, everyone. Like us again on Facebook or iTunes. And email us your thoughts and uh, responses and opinions and reviews. Thanks, Roscoe. A very nice episode. All right. Thank you, Gary. Good luck on your Tony Award picks. Thank you. You know, there's $50 on this. Take care, everybody. This has been been Booth One.